That's all the fellowship and you can do. Now stop it. <laughs> well, welcome, welcome. Trusting you're having a, a good life. If not, it's about to get better. So I want to encourage you with the word tonight. Uh, this is my uh, partner in crime and business, uh, brother in the Lord. As I introduced last time, uh, if you weren't here, walks in the gift of faith. Uh, even in the midst of things he can't see, he hears the voice of the Lord. So he's going to encourage you. If you've got any set of circumstances around you that doesn't look like, you know, anybody ever had the enemy tell you, hey, God's not with you anymore. He's left you and everything that bad has happened, he's causing to happen on you. Which is, you know, the way the enemy talks. Uh, he's going to help talk you out of that. I don't have any idea what he's going to talk on tonight, but I can tell you this. You're going to like it. Please welcome Colin Amen. Carr. Thanks, Jeff. <clears throat> Come here. That's my little rascal. Some resemblance. Oh. Buddy. This is my son, Carter. So I have a funny story that I was going to share. Um, uh, a couple weeks ago, there was a guest speaker, and we were walking out in the lobby and Carter said, hey, I really want to bless him, Dad. And so I took the, the money out of my pocket and I gave it to him. And I said, uh, wait till he's done talking to the person he's talking to. Just stand there. And then when he recognizes you, um, just go ahead and, and tell him that you want to give it to him as a gift. And, and um, he goes, okay, great. So he walks up to the, he walks with the guy. It was, it was Robbie Dawkins. And he waited for Robbie to be done talking. And then he gave it to him. And I could see them interacting. And then Carter came back with a big smile I go, what happened, bud? And he goes, he goes, Dad, he goes, it was so funny. He goes, as soon as I gave him the money, it's like he thought I sneezed because he goes, oh, God bless you. <laughs> and he goes, but I didn't sneeze. <laughs> so this is my little rascal. Um, I think it's so much more real. I wasn't planning on having Carter come up here. I wasn't sure he's even going to be in here. But I think it's so much more real when you, when you see God this way. You know, you, you hear people say stuff, and I say things like, you know, I, I said it last time, you know, God carries my, my picture in his wallet, or I'm on his cell phone, and if you pull my cell phone up, it has a picture of Carter and Layla. Like, that's, that's my heart for them. Um, sometimes you hear people that, unfortunately, love the Lord, but don't necessarily have a revelation of who he is, and they'll make comments like, you know, at the end of the day, all I can bring to God is my, my obedience and my brokenness. And if you think about that for a second, could you imagine Carter, who's seven, walking up to me and saying, at the end of the day, Dad, all I can bring to you is my obedience and my brokenness. It just, it just doesn't play. And so I feel like there's a, a litmus test or a sniff test. Uh, if, you, if you couldn't see you doing it to your beloved son or daughter in whom you're well pleased, uh, don't, don't impugn the father. That's just not who he is. He created Adam and Eve in the garden. Love you, bud. He created Adam and Eve in the garden and he didn't have a church for them to minister in. He didn't have a Bible for them to read. He didn't have uh, any place for them to serve. Now, those things are great, but that's not why he created them. That's not why he made them. Uh, he made them for personal relationship. Why did I make Carter and Layla? I made them for personal relationship. I don't need them to do a work for me. I would love for Carter to have a productive life uh, and be happy, uh, but I don't need him to do anything for me. I'm all sufficient when it comes to my son, and it's my uh, pleasure to show him how much I love him and how much I care about him. 
He doesn't have to ask me to provide for him. I'm going to provide for him. He doesn't have to ask me to protect him. I'm going to protect him. And that's who the father is. And, and I know that uh, I'm not here to counter bad doctrine, uh, but the reason I want to start this way is uh, I got radically born again, and I went all in for the gospel. I, I sold everything I had. I gave it away, put it in my car. If it didn't fit, it didn't come. Changed my cell phone number, moved from Michigan to Colorado, and I spent a year totally isolated just to start over because I had so many bad habits and so many just bad things that I had to get away from. And I was, I was zealous for the Lord. And I just, I just dug in with everything I had. And it was a uh, different church, by the way. It was every session, every speaker, every book. Um, and I just found myself in a relationship that was performance-based. And uh, I found myself in a place where I didn't have a revelation of what I think are absolutely foundational items and topics. And I think it's really hard to see God for who he is and to have an amazing life and a reign in life if you don't know who he is, who he's made you to be and specifically what happened when you got born again. And so I, I liken it to Romans 10, where Paul says, he says, uh, brethren, my heart's desire, my prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. He said, I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but it's not according to knowledge. It's not according to truth. For they, being ignorant of how God declares someone righteous and how God accepts people, and instead they're seeking to establish their own righteousness they have not submitted to the righteousness that God imputes to people, that he gives as a free gift. And what Paul's saying is he says, uh, I'm going to go on. That Red Bull wasn't cracked. I'd crack it, by the way, just FYI. Um, it's my ninth hour of talking today, so anyways, I'm having fun. Um, I might just get off on a little couple rabbit trails. I'd I'm actually having fun, by the way, too. You always wonder like, what's it like to be up here. Part of me just like wants to go play the drums and stuff and just kind of walk around. So um, I, I don't have an agenda either, by the way. I asked the Lord what he wanted me to talk on, and JR said something that confirmed what I'm supposed to talk on, so that's what I'm talking on, but we might hit a couple ideas. Um, but basically what Paul's saying, he says, man, the children of Israel are, are zealous. They are passionate for God, but unfortunately they're approaching God in a way that he doesn't accept. You know, we had, we had Leif up here a couple of days ago, and I don't know the exact numbers, but he said there's over a billion Muslims, half billion uh, Hindus, thank you, um, half billion uh, Buddhists, etc. A lot of those people are passionate for God. They, they are all out, but unfortunately, they approach God in a way that he doesn't accept. And he loves them. He loves them. They're his children as well. He's passionate for them, but they approach him in a way that he doesn't accept. And I liken that to walking up to a house and as opposed to walking up to the front door and, and opening and walking in, you walk up to a brick wall and you just start feeling for the doorknob and it's not there. So you just start beating on the door. You're not going to get inside the house, unfortunately. So Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And you can say, well, I don't know if I want to receive things that way. You don't have a choice. Uh, and it's, it's the same way with, with how you approach God and how you receive from God. As an example... You'll, you'll hear people say, uh, well, if God chooses to heal, that's like saying if God chooses to get someone born again. Let me ask this question. When did God forgive you of your sins? When you asked him to forgive you of your sins or were your sins forgiven 2,000 years ago and you placed faith in his grace and you entered in as a gift? It's, there's a huge difference here and it's going to affect how you receive from God. And again, uh, I was, I was serving the Lord passionately for years, and I had no revelation of grace. I had no revelation of righteousness. Uh, 
Paul says in Hebrews, um, he says, man, I'd love to talk to you guys about some more spiritual things, but he said, instead, I'm going to have to go back and feed you guys the bottle. I'm going to have to put you back in the breast because you still need milk. You can't even eat solid food. And <clears throat> he says, for anyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. So I believe that there's foundational concepts in the body of Christ uh, that if you don't understand these concepts, you're going to have a hard time partaking of God's nature and who he is. Again, <clears throat> if Carter approached me based upon works, performance, uh, my, my anger towards him, or, uh, again, could you imagine if I had the ability to heal and I withheld it? That's, that's just not how things work. Uh, I'm going to jump around a little bit because I have the microphone and it sounds like fun. <laughs> Let's, all right, I don't even know which way we're going to go. We're, we're going to have fun. I promise I won't embarrass you too much, okay? <clears throat> um, let me finish that one thing in Romans. Paul basically says, man, the Jews are approaching God in a way that he doesn't accept. They're seeking to perform to a standard so that God would accept them, and God does not accept your performance. He says Christ is the end of the law. It's the end of performing to receive anything from God, period. You can't receive from performing. Carter can't perform good enough to receive my love. My love comes unconditionally. Why? Because I'm a good father. I love him unconditionally. That's who I am. That's how we're supposed to relate to God. Jesus uh, said, God, for God the Father loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. He uses the word saved, everlasting life, and eternal life in John 3, 15, 16, and 17 interchangeably. He said the reason that God sent me his son is because he loved us so much and he didn't want us to perish. He wanted us to have everlasting life. And then in John 17, Jesus defines everlasting life. He was in the upper room praying with his disciples and he was talking to them and he prayed to the father. He said, Father, um, uh, thank you that you've given eternal life to all those that you've called. And he said, and this is eternal life that they may know you, the one true God, and your son whom you sent. Jesus said in John 3, 16, the reason God sent Jesus was that he would redeem the world. They wouldn't perish. It's a byproduct, but instead they'd have eternal life. Eternal life's personal relationship with God. Again, it's no different. Like it's, it, we, get, we get caught up in, in, in all these bad teachings, and again, it's for people that, that mean well, but they don't know what they're talking about. Salvation is intimate personal relationship with Jesus. Uh, Jesus said multiple times, uh, and you know that you have eternal life right now. Eternal life is present tense. It's not in the future. Everyone lives forever. You don't, you don't stop living. When you die, you just leave this earth. Your spirit lives forever. Eternal life, it, it's present tense right now. And if you were to filter relationship with God or, or salvation through personal relationship with God, it totally transforms everything that you do and how you approach him. It's, it's a game changer. That's, that's why he made you. It's no different. Jesus told all these stories. And again, people, they misunderstand them all the time, all the time. He told a story about uh, a man who was having a visitor, and he went and he knocked on his door to get some food. And the guy said, hey, I'm already in bed. Go away. And he kept knocking. And finally, the guy let him in and gave him some food. And, and Jesus said, uh, you know, I surely tell you the truth, uh, though he wouldn't give him the food because he was a friend, because of his uh, just constant approach, he gave him the food. And people say, well, that's how you're supposed to approach God. You're supposed to just keep knocking and asking and going after it. 
It's not a comparison, it's a contrast. He's saying, look, if somebody in the natural who doesn't even like you would do what's right, how much more would your heavenly father take care of you and do what's right? Again, that gets taught, hey, just keep asking, just keep knocking. Could you imagine if I had healing power or some provision for my son that I would make him beg me for it? It's absolutely ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. You know, you say, I wonder if God's going to heal. Here's my question. What did he do 2,000 years ago when Jesus hung on the cross? Why did he put him on the scourging post and rip the flesh off his back 39 times? He provided healing 2,000 years ago. People say, well, how do you receive healing? How do you receive salvation? Colossians 2.6 says, the same way that you receive Jesus is the same way you receive everything. It says, it says, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Rooted and in, in established in him, built up, abounding in it with thanksgiving. That's how you do it. No, nobody would say, God, I just pray that you would please get me born again. I just, I'm crying out for you. I'm, I'm begging you. Uh, I'm on bended knee. I'm doing, all, I'm doing everything that I know to do to get born again. You wouldn't say that. You would just say what Romans says. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Apply that to healing. You confess in your mouth that Jesus was our propitiation, our payment for sin, wholeness, deliverance, healing. And I believe it in my heart that it was provided 2,000 years ago and I'm going to freely receive it as a gift. I know that seems different, but you can't put a double standard on it. Everything that Jesus did, his full atonement happened at the cross. He didn't do some before the cross, some after the cross. It happened on the cross. Everything happened at the same time. It says in Peter, by his stripes, we were healed. There's no double standard here. And again, some of you say, okay, I know this. I'm going to assume that most people don't know this just for the sake of uh, feeling like this is a worthwhile time together. But I, I, I mean, I was sat in church for years and didn't have a foundation, didn't have a revelation of righteousness. I have a chance through my work to, to help people come in and make a lot more money than they're used to making. And money is a platform. It provides influence. Success is a platform. It's influence. And so it gives me a chance to disciple people and speak into their lives. And so I get a chance to disciple a lot of people. And I, got, I can go a couple dozen deep on people that were born again before they came, a couple people that weren't born again before they came, that got born again. Uh, and inevitably, if I sit down and say, hey, uh, do you understand righteousness? What does it mean to be righteous? Do you still have an old sin nature? Who are you in the spirit? What does it mean to be justified? All the, what does it mean to be a new creation? Uh, inevitably, I, I'm, I, I've yet to find one person that really has even a remote revelation on that stuff. And when they get a revelation of that, their whole life transforms. When did Jesus provide prosperity? 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, You know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you through his poverty might be made rich. When was the fulfillment of that promise? In the atonement. It's all happened at the same time. There's no difference. So you're not going to receive something from God that he provided at the cross one way here by receiving it by putting faith in his grace and another way by begging him for it. You know, we, again, I, and I understand stuff, and please hear my heart, I'm not being critical. I think this is life-transforming if you can get a revelation of this, because how you approach the Father uh, has a tremendous difference. You know, we pray, Lord, I pray that you'd send revival. He sent it 2,000 years ago. His name was Jesus. I pray that you'd do a mighty work in our day. He sent a mighty work in our day 2,000 years ago, and it says God's love for us has been perfected in this. 
God's love for us has been perfected in this. There's no, he can't send any more love. Now, we might say, okay, I know what you're saying. What I'm saying is that I want to receive more of the feeling emotionally. If you just get it by just showing up and getting a touch, you're going to run, you're, it's going to go, you're going to need to get another touch. If you got a revelation of who he was and what he's done for you, you won't have to get another touch. Carter doesn't wake up every day wondering if I love him, wondering if I'm for him. He has a constant understanding and reminder because I show it to him and he freely receives from me. That's the gospel. The, the nearly, gospel's nearly too good to be true news. It's not nearly too good to be true to wonder if God is going to heal you. When you hear the word sovereign, which means first in rank, order, and authority, it does not mean he controls everything. Don't, if you, I got, I got an antenna. If the word sovereign goes up, my ears perk. We know that God is sovereign. Yeah, he is top of the food chain. He does not control everything. He gave you free will. The second he takes away your free will, it's no longer a free choice. He gave dominion to Adam and Eve. They gave it to Satan. I don't have time for these, but I got so many things I love to say. God also didn't create Satan. He created Lucifer, and he crowned him with all of his glory. And he was one of the top angels. Lucifer chose to disobey. God did not make Satan. He made Lucifer. He's never made anything bad in his entire life. He's not the author of sickness. He's not the author of sin. He's not the author of evil. That's not who he is. You got to think about this thing. I know that God is sovereign. Really, he, he, he raped that person or he abused that child. That's, that's him? Come on, that's not who he is. You wouldn't do that. You would never fathom of that. Why would you impugn him? Do you think he has to do it? That's not how he does it. It says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, what you believe, for reproof, which is identifying error, for correction, which is fixing the error, for instruction in righteousness, which is who you are, who he's made you to be. Why? That the man of God may be perfect, fully equipped for every good work. It says all scripture, all scripture, and it's given so that you know who you are, what you believe. If you have error, you can figure it out. You can correct it. And then you can walk in righteousness because he's made you complete. Whatsoever things were written in times past were written for our learning. Why? So that we, through the patience and the comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. Jeff said it a couple weeks ago. It says in Hebrews that Jesus is the express image of the Father. He's a perfect representation. Leif said it a couple days ago. Jesus said, I only say what I hear my father say. I only do what I hear my father do. My father and I are one. He said it over and over and over and over again. Let's look at it. Every time anyone came to him, he healed them all. 17 times it said he healed them all. He never refused one person. He didn't condemn people over their mistakes. He freed people. He loosed people. He encouraged people. He lifted them up. There's no fingerprint for it. There's no template for it. It's just not there. I think you got to get a revelation. So say, okay, that sounds good. Let's, let's talk some scripture then about how that actually happened and why that happened. Uh, J.R. said spirit, soul, body. So I'm just going to share a little bit about that. It says in uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.23, it says, now may the God of peace himself, again, if you look at it, it's never the God of judgment in the New Testament. It's the God of peace. It's the God of grace. It's the throne of grace, the throne of mercy. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, 
And I pray, God, that your whole spirit, soul, and body would be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then I love the next sentence. Uh, it says, he who calls you is faithful who also will do it. I have extreme confidence in my life. I have extreme confidence in my family. I have extreme confidence in the goodness of God in my life. I, just, I, have, I have a choice. I can take him at his word or I can, I can just, you know, wonder and hope. I'm going to take him at his word. If it says uh, God's love for us has been perfected, that I can have boldness in the day of judgment, well, if I can have boldness in the day of judgment, I surely I can have boldness right now. It says, it says, let us therefore run boldly to the throne of grace, that we can obtain mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. He says, if you need help, come boldly to my throne. It's the throne of grace. I'll give you mercy to forgive you of whatever you've done and, and remove any punishment that should come with it, and I'll give you grace, which is unearned, unmerited favor for things you don't deserve. Why? Because his love has been perfected towards me. There's nothing more he can do. You just got to have a picture of this thing. This is the gospel. You can't get around it either. There's no way around this. Spirit, soul, body. It says in Hebrews, it says the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, pierces even to the division of soul and spirit. It separates the two. They're totally different. Your soul is your mind, your will, your emotions. Your spirit is the eternal part of you. When you die, you get a brand new body in heaven. He redeems your soul. You know all things in your mind, your will, your emotions. It says that you'll know all things even as you also are known. He'll wipe away all the pain and suffering. Your spirit doesn't change. This is, this is what I wanted to share with you guys tonight, okay? Because this is the game changer. This changes everything. How you guys doing? <laughs> I, I, I'm having fun. I'm preaching myself, if nothing else. <laughs> um, all right, so let's look at what, let's look at what the word says. Actually, let me, let me paint this picture, and then I'll back it up with some scriptures, okay? Just <clears throat> in case any of you were scared I wasn't going to share scripture tonight. <laughs> You're born with an old sin nature. You didn't do anything. You were born with it. Adam was created with a righteous spirit. When he sinned, it became an old sin nature. His spirit died. When God said, do not eat of the tree of the light or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because in the day you do, you surely will die, he was talking about in your spirit, because Adam lived another 900 some years. He said that the day you eat of this tree, you will die. And Adam's spirit died. So you're born with an old sin nature. When you get born again, what are you doing? You are freely receiving by, by faith what God provided by grace. You need faith and grace, by the way. It's not one or the other. It's two sides of the coin. You need to put faith confident expectation or assurance in either what has been done, what is being done, what is promised, what's about to manifest in all of his goodness. So you're born with an old sin nature. You hear the gospel, the incorruptible seed that lives and abides forever, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible seed by the word of God that lives and abides forever. And when you put faith in his grace and you, you believe in your heart that, that he is Lord and you believe that he, that he rose from the dead, your old sin nature gets placed on the cross with Jesus. Then it gets stuffed in the grave. And just like Jesus rose from the dead, you get a brand new righteous spirit. It's totally recreated. 
That's why when you get baptized, the old is there, you go under the water, you get cleansed, you come back up, and behold, all things are new. I'm going to share some scriptures to prove it in a second. I'm just trying to give you guys a picture of it, because I didn't have a revelationist. I, got, I, had, I had someone tell me when I got born again that you need to get up every day and crucify the flesh and put to death the old sin nature. And so I got this thought that every day that I get up, that I'm fighting against my old sin nature. You can't have two spirits. You can't have two natures. I'll talk about that in a second. You can have memories of the past. You can train your body and your mind of tendencies. If you want to get fully transformed in your mind and your body, you have to renew your mind, which is Romans 12. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But you, got, you have to get a revelation of this. You have an old sin nature when you're born. It's not because you did bad that you got an old sin nature. You were born with an old sin nature. And it says, it says in Romans 6, uh, when you had an old sin nature, it says you were free in regards to righteousness. Meaning, no matter how much good you did when you had an old sin nature, you could not turn your old sin nature into a new righteous spirit. Likewise, now that your spirit has been perfected and made whole and sealed with the Holy Spirit, regardless of your performance, your actions, you can't turn your righteous nature in, back into an old sin nature. Your nature is not changed by your performance if it was, it would no longer be by grace. It'd be by works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. Works are no longer works. So you have an old sin nature. It gets crucified with Jesus, stuffed in the grave, just like Jesus rose from the grave, perfected forever. All the sin, the sin nature, the sickness, everything that he took in his body on the cross is fully removed. He left it in the grave. He left it in the pit of hell. So that's who you are. So... Second uh, Corinthians 5.17 says, uh, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. And again, I, 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 I like to really look at what the words are saying. When it says that I'm complete or I've been perfected, I don't need to ask him to do any more for me. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to believe and receive from him. But if, if he says that my love's been perfected in you, he can't give me any more. I can try to receive more. I can say, Lord, make me more aware of your love. Make me more aware of your presence. Holy Spirit, help me to be more conscious of what you're doing, of who you've made me to be. But I pray, God, I pray you'd pour out your love on me. It's already happened. There's, there's no answer to that prayer. He's not going to send Jesus to the, to the cross to die again. When you asked to receive salvation, he didn't say, hey, Jesus, got another one, man. Um, back down to Calvary. And we, we laugh at that, but that's how we think about it. Lord, I pray that you would please heal so-and-so. I did 2,000 years ago. Same way I provided prosperity, same way I provided wholeness. You know, sozo, soteria, saved, healed, delivered, prospered, made whole, finished work. We say it's a finished work. It's not finished if he's still doing stuff. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. It says the same way that the Father rested on creation, God rested on the seventh day. Jesus rested and is seated at the right hand of the Father. So 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Old sin nature has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. My body is not new. My mind gets transformed as I renew it. That leaves only one part of me is my spirit. My spirit has become brand new. It says, now all things are of God. If it's, it's not my body, you guys know that my body is not brand new. You guys know my mind's not brand new. I don't know all things even as I'm known. 
that leaves only one part of me. We're a three-part being, spirit, soul, body. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Uh, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through his son. He's reconciled. He's brought us into right standing through Jesus. And he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of reconciliation says you're supposed to go and tell people that God restored you into a full relationship as a son or daughter and all of his goodness and all of his glory is offered to you as your true nature and he'll recreate you and fully restore you and provide any need that you have, both eternally and right now. Now all things are of God who has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Jesus reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. And he says it again, he's committed to us the same word of reconciliation. He says it twice, it's, it's for you. And then he says, to make it a third time, therefore, we are ambassadors for God as though, as though God were pleading through us, please be reconciled to my son Jesus. He says God is pleading through us saying, please tell people what's happened. Don't tell people what could happen or what, what you have to do. Tell them, please, this is what I did. I'm not imputing their trespasses. I fully forgave them. I will give you a brand new righteous spirit. I will restore you in all of your goodness, in all my goodness, in all my glory. And then he says, for God made Jesus, who did not have any sin in him or through him, to become sin for us, that we would become the righteousness of God in Christ. He says, you're not, old's gone, new's come, you've been perfected, you've been redeemed, there's no more imputation of your mistakes, and you are 100% brand new and righteous. He made Jesus who had no sin, he became sin for us, now we are righteous. It says, uh, it says in Romans uh, that if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not Jesus. He's, he is, I'm sorry, he, is not, he has not his. So what is your spirit? Your spirit, your brand new nature is the spirit of Christ. It is his spirit. He gave you his essence. He doesn't have multiple forms of righteousness. He has one form of righteousness because righteousness is 100% perfect. There's not different forms of righteousness. There's not different forms of perfection. There's not different forms of completeness. Again, we use words that don't make sense. Oh, man, this thing is complete. Do we need anything else? Yeah, a couple more things, but... That's not how he works. Man, this thing is perfect. Would you do anything different? I'd do a couple things different. It's not perfect then. We are perfect. In my spirit, I am 100% perfect. I have the spirit of Christ. That's how I can approach him boldly. That's how I can receive from him. It's, you know, I was talking to a guy the other day. He's like, I said, well, how do you approach God if you're not righteous? He's like, well, through the blood. What does that mean? Well, he sees me through the blood. I understand what you're saying, but that's, that's incomplete. The blood of Jesus cleansed you, made you white as snow. He gave you a brand new righteous spirit. Ephesians 4, Paul says, man, put on the new man. Start living based upon who you really are, which was created. Created in true righteousness and holiness. It was created. It's not evolving. It says in Hebrews, it says... 
that by one offering, Jesus has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Listen to this for one second. For by one offering, Jesus has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. How does that make any sense? He perfected you in your spirit even while your soul and your body are being redeemed. I could probably quote it. I'll read it, though, just to make sure. Romans 6 says, <coughs> it says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Here's what's interesting. I didn't, I didn't know this for a long time, and I'm not like a big Greek or Hebrew scholar, um, but I pay attention to certain things here and there. Uh, the word sin or sins is used 49 times in the book of Romans. This is, this is really important, by the way. I'm not like, you know, the grabbing some random letter here and, you know, the type and shadow of this. Uh, but anyways, the, the, the word sin is used 49 times in the book of Romans. 48 times it's a noun. It's not a verb, but one time. And that changes everything. It changes everything. Every time you see the word sin, you can say the word old sin nature because that's what it means. Again, it, it's, not the, it's, not, it's not a verb it's a noun, and it, it, talks, it, it describes the propensity, the driving force behind sin. So when I read it, I, I actually say old sin nature because that's the more accurate understanding of it. Only one time, Romans 6.15, is it actually a verb. Every other time, it's a noun. So I'm going to read this to you guys, and, and this is what Paul's saying is going on. What shall we say then? Shall we continue with an old sin nature that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin, how shall we who died to the old sin nature live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? I just gave that picture. When you get born again, your old sin nature is crucified to the cross, stuffed in the grave, and then you resurrected a new creation. This says, this says, this says you, were, you were baptized into Jesus' death. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, you guys get this? He says this four times. Four times he says, death, death, death. What part of you died? The old sin nature. You've been united together with him in the likeness of his death. And that's only half the coin. The other side's coming too. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. That's the other half the coin. If the old sin nature has been crucified, what replaced the old sin nature? If you were baptized into his death, if you've been reunited through his resurrection through death, certainly we're also going to be united in the resurrection of life as well. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Jesus. Our old man was crucified with Jesus. That the body of the sin nature might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of the old sin nature. For he who has died 
has been freed from the old sin nature. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Jesus, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that Jesus died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. This is saying Jesus did it one time, guys. He did it one time. It happened once. The, the old sin nature, all the sins went in him on the cross one time. Likewise, you also, your old sin nature went, in the cro- went to the cross, went in the grave one time. And then it says, likewise, you also reckon yourself to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Therefore, do not let the old sin nature reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. It's saying don't, don't let your body and your mind still think something's there when it's not there. It's not there anymore. You programmed your mind incorrectly. You programmed your body incorrectly. Every one of us did. But don't think it's still there because it's not there. Some memories are there. It's, but it's just like any trait. You, you do something, you stop doing it, you still have the memories there. How do, you, how do you get rid of it? You renew your mind. It's not there anymore, though. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to the old sin nature, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. It's saying, look, don't think you have an old sin nature because you don't. Jesus died one time. You lost your old sin nature one time. Jesus rose one time. Your, old, your, your, your new spirit was created and, and rose with you one time. The life that, that Jesus lives, he lives eternally unto God. The life that you live, live eternally unto God in righteousness. So what's the application of this? When Jesus sees me, when God sees me, he sees me in the spirit. When I see Carter, I see him as my son. I don't see his performance. I know his performance. I'm going to help in those areas. God will help us in those areas as well. But they don't define our sonship or our daughtership. And this is, this is not like an isolated concept. This is, this, is throughout the, this is everywhere in Scripture, everywhere. I mean, Jesus just hammers this concept over and over again. He says in John 3, he says, Assuredly, I tell you the truth, you must be born again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Assuredly, I say to you, you must be born again. He says in John 6, 63, he says, it's the spirit that gives you life. Your flesh has no profit. And then he said, the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. Jesus' words are spirit, they're life, they're truth, they're grace. The law came through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth are interwoven with each other. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The way, the truth, and the life are interwoven with each other. He said, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Truth and the word are, are, are it's the same thing. You can't separate them. And then in John 4, 24, so John 3, John 4, John 6, he just keeps saying the same thing. He says, God is a spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. This to me is, this is, I mean, this is the kingpin. This is Jesus saying, God is not flesh and bones. He's spirit. And then he says, you must worship him in spirit and truth. There's no option. There's no, there's no, 
you know, if it, if it feels good, go ahead and do this. But if it doesn't, do whatever you want. So let me change these words a little bit. God is spirit, and those who approach him must approach him in spirit and truth. Those who receive from him must receive from him in spirit and truth. Those who worship him must do so in spirit and truth. Those who worship him, receive, interact, exchange, relate, must do so in spirit and in truth. So what does that mean? Spirit is who you are. It's who he's made you to be. Truth is what the word of God says about you. Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. How shall a young man cleanse his ways? By taking heed to the word of God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. It's the incorruptible seed. It's, it's, it's all the same thing. So if you want to approach God and you want to receive from God, he's going to request that you do so based upon who you are in the spirit, who he's made you to be, and what the word of God says about you. It's, there's no other option. The other options are you, you, you walk up and you start banging on the side of the wall as opposed to going right in the front door and receiving and, and having a feast with him. He says, man, my father and I got a huge feast prepared. And if anyone will receive me, I'll come in and dine with him. It's a present tense offering right now. So all throughout scripture, there's all the goodness, all the glory, what he's done for you. Paul literally just keeps going over and over and over again through every book in the New Testament. This is who you are. This is who he's made you to be. This is what he's done for you. This is the experience. Don't mix law and grace. Don't mix performance with his goodness. Don't impugn his character. That's, that's the whole gospel. <coughs> there, there's two scriptures that talk about, there's more than two, but there's two I'm going to use right now. Uh, one of them says, in, in James, it says, but be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourself. And now, there's two applications to that. There is a doer of the word. There is, you know, do things that are right. That's, that's applicable. But my personal opinion is the dominant revelation of that scripture says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourself. What I think it's really saying is don't read what the word of God says, who you are and, and, and what he's done for you, and then forget what that means and, and, and not approach him based upon it. But be doers of the word. What does the word say? It says that you're blessed and highly favored. You've been perfected forever. He sees you wholly without blame before him in love. He wants you to run boldly to him anytime you have a problem. That mean, that's being a doer of the word. Approaching him based upon the means by which he accepts people. Romans 10, these Jews are approaching God, but they're not doing it in a way that he accepts. So being a doer of the word means that you relate to him based upon who he's made you to be. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourself. And it says, for if any man is a doer, or is a hearer of the word, not a doer, he is likened to a man who looks at himself in a mirror. He looks at himself, he goes away, and he immediately forgets what manner of man he was. This is what it says. It says, the person that sits in church or reads the word and doesn't get a revelation of who they are and who he's made you to be, is like looking in the mirror and then walking away and you forget what you look like. I mean, could you imagine, for everyone who can see, could you imagine if you didn't know what color hair you had? I think my hair is blonde. It might be, might be red. I think I'm 
think I have green eyes. Maybe I have brown eyes. That's the equivalent. Like, that's the equivalent of, of, of this. If you already have this, I just, I, you know, uh, this is the transforming of your mind. It's the renewing. It's like water. You just, you, you, you just keep going after more and more water. If you don't have a revelation of this, this will radically flip your world right side up. If you don't have a revelation of this, this is the good news. You have a chance to have a revelation of this right now. Don't look in the mirror, walk away and say, I don't even know what color hair I have. Do I have an old sin nature or do I have a righteous spirit? How do I receive from God? What does it mean to be righteous? Justification, is that the forgiveness of sins and the imputation of righteousness? Or is it just one or the other? Am I, am I still under the law? Is the Old Testament still applicable? Should we have the Ten Commandments hung up? If so, should we put the other 603 next to it? Are we going to be held to that same standard? You guys know there was 613 commandments given, not just 10, by the way? I was talking to a buddy the other day, and I said, I said, you know in 1 Corinthians 15 it says the strength of sin is the law? It says the sting of death is sin. The sting of death is sin. It says the strength of sin is the law. I'd love to share on that right now, but we don't have another, we don't have another session. <laughs> but, I mean, that's interesting. Okay, let's go back to Romans 6. So what are you saying, that we should just go sin, that grace should abound? That's not what I'm saying. That's Romans 6, 1, Romans 6, 15. But it is interesting. In 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, when he says that the ministry of death written and engraved on stones, the ministry of condemnation, the letter kills, and he's all described in the Old Testament. Anyways, uh, who's this good-looking dude? Just joking. You always hope that you're going to land some sweet joke like when you speak. I don't speak in front of church. It's my second time, but you're always like, looking for that sweet joke. I don't have one tonight. <laughs> I, I'll try. I'll try. It is actually fairly entertaining, though, because you sit in the audience, and, and you're watching, and you know, you're receiving, and, and then you stand up here, and you, you got a couple guys fall asleep, and a couple people dozing off, and part of you wants to go poke them a little bit. And be, ah. All right, I'll wrap this up. Um, if you're going to approach God in spirit and in truth, you just have to approach him based upon who you are and what he's done for you. So again, James says, if, if, you're, if you're a hearer and not a doer, you're basically like somebody that just sees themselves, walks away, and they, you forget. And he's saying that's not a good place to be. Um, we were talking about the scripture this morning, or yesterday at one of our trainings. This will be my last one. <clears throat> it says, it's Second uh, Corinthians 3. Verse 17, it says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, there is liberty. My Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. It was sealed with the Holy Spirit. He gave me a brand new nature. He removed all my sins and declared me righteous, which is justification. Justification is the removal of sins and the, the imputation of righteousness. It's both. There's two sides of that one as well. You can't be righteous if you weren't first fully forgiven. And if you are fully forgiven, you're also declared righteous. Just like you're not quasi-born again or you're half-saved, half-blessed, you're either blessed with every spiritual blessing or you're not. 
So he says, now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And then it says, but we all, with an unveiled face, this is in reference to when Moses had a veil over his face, it says, we have an unveiled face, and it says, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. It doesn't say beholding as in a picture the glory of the Lord. We're staring at a picture of Jesus. He says, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. It says, we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. He says, when you see Jesus, you see all of his glory, and it's like you're looking in a mirror because you're looking at who he's made you to be. That's, that's, the, that's the new creation. Again, it's not just he forgave you of your sins and, you know, he saved a wretch like me. That's what happened. And again, I'm not saying this just to, to just try and have some shock value. I am the righteousness of God in Jesus. I am his beloved son. He is well-pleased. Everything that Jesus is, I am in this world. My spirit has been perfected forever. When I sin and I make mistakes, it affects my body. It affects my mind. It does not touch my spirit. Why? My spirit, because the Holy Spirit sealed me, and sin cannot penetrate my spirit. When I get to heaven, I don't get a brand new spirit. People say all the time, what happens when you get to heaven and you stand before God? What are you going to say? I'm going to say, what's happening? They're going to say, well, what, what makes you worthy to enter to heaven? That question doesn't get asked, guys. That's a, that's a human's question. When I get to heaven, I will be in the spirit, and you will see a beaming, bright ball of light, which is the spirit of God in all of his glory. And if you're not born again, you will have an old sin nature that is the darkness of darkness, and there's no more discussions when you get there. You're going to stand before the king. You either go down or you go in. There's no discussion. There's no reasoning. There's no, let me talk about this thing. It's already done. You are either the righteousness of God in Christ, you're 100% perfected forever, or you have an old sin nature. You're either blessed or you're not. You're either, you either have eternal life before you get there or you don't have eternal life. That's it. And Paul said, he said, I reckon that the sufferings of this world are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. It's in us right now. You're going to get a full picture of it when you get to heaven. My hope for everyone is that when they see the Bible, they see Jesus, they see the word of God, that they can understand they're actually beholding as in a mirror who they are, who God's made them to be. When I read the Bible and it says, I've been blessed with every spiritual blessing, he sees me holy and without blame before him in his perfect love, I have to make a choice that is true. You have, every person in who is born again had to make a choice that they're going to receive Jesus. He didn't fall on you. He didn't force you. It doesn't happen by getting close to it. If you think just because you grew up in it that that, gets, that makes you born again, no. You have to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. You have to have a born-again experience. And if you do, then you have to then move forward in life believing that you are righteous, you are holy, you are blameless. You are a true son, a true daughter. And then just believe what you hear and sing. But we all with an unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image as Jesus from glory to glory. And it said, Paul says the mystery of God's will is that we would be transformed. We've been predetermined, predestined to be transformed into the image of Jesus. You're 100% Jesus in your spirit. It's the same essence. The question for you is this. 
how much do you want to be transformed in your mind, your will, your emotions, and your body? It does not come by asking for it. You've got to take the incorruptible seed, plant it in your heart, and it will produce. And that's a whole other teaching. It's the equivalent, though, of asking for a baby without, without planting the seed. It's not how it happens. You don't have a baby by asking for a baby. Everything that recreates trees, animals, the seed is inside of itself. The seed is in the word. You have to plant the seed and then let it come up and bear fruit. You have to believe what the word of God says and then get transformed. It doesn't happen by asking. It doesn't happen just by, by getting around it. You have to take what the word of God says, believe that it's true, and then it will start to transform your life. And that's another amazing, amazing concept or doctrine. So my, my prayer for you guys is this. Um, yeah, band can come up, worship team can come up. By the way, I knew I was going to be on stage tonight, so I wore my skinny jeans so I could fit in with the band. <laughs> That's kind of funny. Come on. <laughs> All of you that wear skinny jeans, I think it's cool too. I'm just joking. <laughs> Here, here's my prayer. Just playing, man. Just playing. <laughs> here's my prayer. Uh, I'm going to pray what Paul prayed. And actually, again, I'll just, I said last time, I'll just pray right now, okay? So I'm going to pray for us. And um, thank you guys for giving me a chance to be with you guys tonight. Uh, I had fun, and I was entertained, so hopefully you were too. Uh, Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are, for what your word says. Holy Spirit, we, we pray that the, the eyes of our understanding, the, the, the eyes and the ears of our heart and our mind would be open to who you are and what your word says. I thank you, Lord, for a dramatic revelation in every person of who you are and, and what the finished work actually means. I pray that every person in this room who has a desire to know you and to know you, to know you better would, would fully understand what you've done. Dramatic revelation of the finished work, of how much you love us, of how much you care for us, evidenced by all that you've done. And that we would begin to walk in the fullness of who you've made us to be. We would walk in the confidence of you being our father, of us being your beloved sons and daughters. And I, I release right now just a, a, a divine revelation in every person. I stir up the, the wisdom and revelation that he's put inside of you, the mind of Christ, that you would see the hope of his calling, that you would, that you would understand the, the grace, the glory, the righteousness, the justification of all that he's done for us. And Lord, I thank you for, for all that you've done. Thank you for all that you are, all that you've made us to be. And we love you, we say thank you, and we receive it as a free gift in Jesus' name. Amen.